0: If you're a tennis fan, you'll love Betting Weekly Game Bet Match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a bettor or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to
1: Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider.
0: Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Missinelli Podcast, episode number 105, Thursday, August 24th. Brought to us by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app for all your bets. As we come down to the home stretch of the baseball season and the opening of the NFL season, the Philadelphia Eagles will get to that in a second. Jeff Mosher, who covers the Eagles and has been covering for a long time, and now with his podcast, Inside the Birds, will join us a little bit later as we talk about tonight's game with the Eagles and the Indianapolis Colts and what positions we may be looking at. But let's first start with the current and there's nothing more current than last night. The Phillies lose to the Giants. A very weird ending to the game because it looked like they had flipped the momentum as Bryce Harper, Mr. Clutch, rips a three run homer to tie it in the ninth inning, only for the Phillies to lose it in the 10th. And we'll tell you how they lost it in a second. But the first thing that sticks out to me now, here's the, here's the thing that we got here's the backdrop of this whole thing the Phillies won the series. Two to one. However, that loss last night means the Giants win the season series, which means they have the tiebreaker if in the playoffs, if if these teams now go head to head with each other. So if, in other words, if the Phillies are the four seed if, uh, and the Giants are the five seed because the, and they're tied in that spot, the Giants would get the home field advantage in a three game series which is a little precarious. So that's why that loss hurt a little bit last night, because I saw people tweeting, well, they won the series. Well, yeah, but it was a little deeper than that. Uh, Before we get to the conclusion of that game, Michael Lorenzen. Uh, Now, (laughs) again, I'm not going to... Revisionist history is a cheesy way to go at it. But, you know, at the time when they let him go for that no-hitter, yes, okay. Allow him to go to the no-hitter. It's a -a once-in-a-lifetime achievement. However... You know, the caveat to that whole thing is he's in the 120s with his pitches. And so if you thought nothing was going to happen, because I remember at the time, people were like, well, they got nine days off. shouldn't affect them. It affects guys when they have to churn their way past their normal limit. All right? And the evidence is in the last two starts for Michael Lorenzo. Since the no-hitter, last two starts, he has pitched nine innings, he has given up 16 hits, 11 runs, four walks, and three home runs in that span. Now, uh, I, again, I, I hope it's just coincidence, but you got to factor in that when you extend the guy in this day and age, because guys aren't extended. That's the problem with this. Like, I, I baseball is the way it is now, right? I can't change the rules. They have a hundred pitch limit on these guys, and they don't want to go further. So their arms are trained to go to that extent. And when you got to go past that extent, you're grinding extra hard because you're not used to it physically or maybe even mentally. So they ground them past into the 120s for that no hitter. I think it was 124. And, and the, the end result was the last two stars. Now, hopefully he can regenerate. But you know there were people that watched Michael Lorenzen in his first couple of stars and said, well, he should be the number two starter over Nola. It's not that simple, man. Baseball's a tough game. You got to sustain. You got to prove it every time out. All right. So that's the that's the big problem that I had too. Two problems: the Lorenzo problem and the Giants actually winning that game that they probably shouldn't have won. So let let's go back and, and uh, check out and see how they won. Okay, we go to the tenth inning in this game after uh, Harper hits the the home run that ties the game, and this is the second straight night that. Camilio Dalval melted down for the Giants. And it was clear he had he had nothing. He walks Schwarber to start the ninth, and then he walks Turner. And you know, listen, you walk the first two guys, you're not going to get out of that inning. It always happens, even if you walk the leadoff guy, you're gonna have problems getting that inning out of that inning. And Harper and Harper Homer's the tight game. Castellano, they bring in Jeff Junis and Castellano's singles and now and, uh, and fortunately the Giants got out of that inning because Rio Muto with a man on second base as Rojas stole second base uh struck out swinging. and and Real Muto is now in a funk so that's another thing got to worry about but now the guy who we worry about as their closer, Craig Kimball has been very inconsistent as we get into the months of August and certainly September coming up Kimbrell goes in for the Phillies in the ninth and the 10th inning with the ghost runner on second base. He walks Bailey. He hits Meckler with a pitch and Paul DeJong, who's, (laughs) I don't know if the guy can still play the giants have picked him up after the, uh, uh, Toronto blue Jays released him after like 20 at bats. He singles the center and he hit a home, home run earlier in the game and, and the giants tack on two more. And then, um, there was a double play, uh, sacrifice, but, um, the Jung was doubled off of first base on a fly ball to center field that Rojas made a great play on, but the runner tagging from third crosses the plate and that's Meckler. He's a, he's a young player. So he's taught hustle, 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 veteran player made a lollygag this way past the home plate uh, that Meckler scores on the play before they get the out at first. So they tack on another run and, and that was the, going to be the winning margin, even though, Sosa uh, double to left in the bottom of the 10th. The Phillies had a mini rally, and uh, Riamudo, the ghost runner, scores on that play. So the Phillies uh, wound up losing 8-6. to six. All right, so that's our baseball coverage for today. So let's stay with the baseball theme here as we go to the uh, Los Angeles uh, Angels. And uh, the, the, the news today that Otani needs Tommy John, a second Tommy John, and what that does to his marketability. You know, the first thing I thought about is, wow, that really helps the Angels. Because, you know, the $500 million contract was going to be offered to him based on the fact that he was going to be a hitter and a pitcher. And uh, so uh, now now what? Uh, he, he can't pitch. Obviously, he can't pitch next year at all. Whether they would consider sending him back out there, if you look at uh, – Tommy Johns. If you have a couple of Tommy Johns, and he had one in 2018 within a five-year span, you're not coming back as a pitcher. Uh, that's you know, the guys take a little longer to come back in, in that. You know, like if their career goes like eight years and from one Tommy Johns to the other, they have a chance to do it. But within five years, very unlikely he can come back and pitch that soon. So that lowers his value. Will well, teams still bid on him as a hitter. Well, of course they will. But this was a a once-in-a-lifetime unicorn-type player who could help you on the mound and with the bat, and that would have raised the stakes considerably. So now the Angels are in a situation where maybe they won't get outbid, and he stays there. That remains to be seen, but uh, that was tough news for uh, Otani. Uh, All right, let's move on to soccer since I'm Mr. Soccer now. Since uh, we went to the Union game, uh, Darren and I, uh, last week to see Lionel Messi, uh, and Miami wins again uh he didn't score a goal which I thought was a mandate uh, that you know in the league that he had to score in every game but he made two hellacious passes that led to goals as Miami wins in, in, in a shootout and now they play for it's a team that was winless before they got Lionel Messi and he has transformed this team so I guess he must be the greatest player ever. I mean, listen, what do I, what do I know? I haven't seen enough of soccer or Lionel Messi to determine whether he's the best of all time. But he's certainly making an impact in this league. And I got to say, he's probably thinking, man, this is the best thing I ever did. Not a, I'm 36 years old, and this league is easy for me. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to make $85 million, and I'm going to be a hero every time out. Uh, all right. Uh, let's move on to football now. <laughs> the San Francisco 49ers named Trey Lance. They're third stringer. So, so that means the novice is the starter and the backup is Sam Darnold. <laughs> and Trey Lance, who they traded like three draft picks, first draft picks to get into that position to draft him, is now third saying, well, what do you do with him? Now, well, first of all, his trade value is way low now. So you almost got to keep the guy. You invested that much in him. And, and and so you got to keep him on your roster as a third stringer and bite the bullet on it because listen, let's face it, Sam Darnold's not long for this league, is he? It, you can have him as a backup forever. Any team can have him for for a backup, but but you you never know how this starter is going to respond. You get you, you have a really small window uh, for this starter that whether he's an NFL quarterback or not. I mean, you don't know, do you? Know Darren, do you know that their starting quarterback
1: is is going to be the man? Not at all. I mean, the guy was, was he even a draft pick? He was like the last pick in the draft or something. Listen, I want that 49er team to have seven quarterbacks on the roster because I don't want to hear their pissing and moaning again next year. We know our quarterbacks are hurt. I want them to have every quarterback they can get. Keep them all on the roster so they have nothing to complain about when we beat them again by 40.
0: All right. So, you know, and, and so Brock Purdy has just the – uh, he's he's got a has a small resume in this league. So, uh I know the people say, well. you got to trade Trey Lance?" No, you don't have to. You hold on to him. You bite no, the bullet. It's... Yeah, you paid a lot and it's embarrassing to the franchise, but you never know what's going to happen with Brock Purdy. And you know Sam Darnold's not a starting quarterback in this league.
1: All right, which is I think it would us... be irresponsible if they move Lance right now. It really yeah, would.
0: The Philadelphia Eagles third preseason game tonight against the Colts and we we, we won't see any starters. The quarterback will not have taken a snap all preseason, which I guess is okay. I guess you don't have to. Uh, But uh, they're playing the Colts. And they're sparring with them all week in these joint practices. Got a little heated uh, in in these practices. So uh, they're ready to start the season. They get this damn preseason over and get to the season September 10th. So I guess what you're looking at right now, uh, you're looking at Sidney Brown. You're, You're looking at the linebackers. You're looking at these little spots. Uh, for the Eagles to to see whether Zach Cunningham could be the starter alongside Kobe Dean, who could be the starter uh, along uh, alongside Blankenship, whether they're going to take a chance on Sidney Brown. So all this seasoning for these guys, you get your eyeballs on. Uh, and the Colts have their own problems with the Jonathan Taylor thing, and they're going to start Anthony Richardson tonight. He's going to play. He probably won't play for long, but uh, they want to get him more snaps, so that means he probably hasn't dazzled. So that those are the uh the themes for tonight uh, as we have to suffer through another boring ass preseason game that usually goes four freaking hours and uh I you know uh, uh <laughs> the guy the guys that broadcast the game, it's tough man uh, it, it is really tough to broadcast a preseason game you got to have I, that's why I I tip my cap uh to our good friend who is uh, has been on this show before and uh Okay, so you got to sit through a four-hour preseason game, and and Scott Graham and Ross Tucker doing yeoman's work on these preseason games because you have to you have to be armed with a lot of material, a lot of blabber blabber to get through these games. And Ross Tucker does it better than anybody, and maybe Ross can can tell a Taylor Swift story tonight because he he's uh, from the same uh, hometown. Uh, Why missing? And uh, I you know. Uh, I expect Ross to say why he wasn't invited to Jack Antonoff and the Margaret Qualley's wedding since Taylor was there. I guess there was a one why missing high limit uh, for that game. All right. So that's tonight. Uh, of Philadelphia Eagles and Indianapolis Colts.
1: It's the Mike Cassinelli podcast
0: on the Bet Rivers Network. All right. Let's talk Eagles preseason game tonight against the Indianapolis Colts and uh, our expert guest. Is a man who's covered the Eagles for a lot of years, and many different entities, and uh, is the founder of the Inside the Birds franchise, co-hosting with Adam Kaplan. He's the great Jeff Mosher joining us. Hello, Jeff.
1: Mike, what's going on, man? Long time. Good to catch up with you. Yes, it has been a while.
0: Uh, so let's let's talk about this game tonight and uh, and what we're looking for exactly. Um, do you expect starters to play tonight? Do they have to play some starters? What 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 areas are we looking at tonight in this game?
1: Uh, starters probably not, although you could make an argument that some of the guys who are playing tonight have a chance to maybe start by the middle of the year. Take a Sidney Brown, an impressive rookie. Mike, I was at training you know, I was at the joint practice, and it's the last practice of the year, right? For the Eagles, the last open one. So you're about three weeks in, and I'm watching them shuffle safeties in and out of first team Sidney Brown Kavon Wallace um, uh, who's the other uh, Terrell Edmonds right Justin Evans and I thought I don't remember ever and I'm almost on 20 years with this ever on the last day of Eagles camp are they shuffling guys in and out not because that's what they do on the D-line you know they always re- rotate there but they're literally trying to still get reps for everybody to evaluate on the last day of training camp that's Sort of foreign to Eagles culture, and uh, for what I've known, so you'll see some guys playing tonight that are really trying to make the 53, especially at the cornerback spot. I don't know how to start, uh, maybe a running back just to get a little bit of a, you know, juiced up for the for the season. But it'll be mostly your backups and and some of your rookies that are trying to improve one last time in real action. I want to talk about Sidney Brown in a little bit, but
0: uh, let's get into some current issues here since the Colts are in town. A a couple of issues. Uh, As far as I understand it, and probably you do too, they're going to play Anthony Richardson tonight a little bit because they still haven't seen enough and they want to get him more acclimated. Is that what you're hearing, that he's going to play tonight?
1: Uh, Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he did. I mean, obviously, I don't expect him to play a whole lot, but... You know, just based on watching him in practice, you know, and and they're doing what you would think that they would do, run a lot of um, RPOs, getting him on the move, little zone reads and things like that. But I thought he was a guy who had obviously has a great arm and great athletic ability, but left a lot of passes late. I think he's still trying to get his timing down with his receivers. So it wouldn't surprise me at all uh, if he played a little bit in this game because he needs those kind of real time reps.
0: But there's also a danger. You know, the Eagles are a pretty good sacking team. So, I, you know, you, you, you got to hold your breath if, if you're the Colts. I, I get that. But the, the bigger issue in my mind with the Colts is this Jonathan Taylor issue. And the word is that the Eagles are like one of the six teams that are involved in wanting to acquire him, which surprises me a little bit. Well, what do you what are you uh, what are you
1: hearing on this front? So I'm hearing two things. One, it is, it should be a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise because it seems like whenever there's a big name, right? The, the agents or the teams use the Eagles as leverage. They always put them out there because Howie Roseman is typically an aggressive GM. We all know that. And so it's sort of like the Yankees with free agents. Seeing all you know, oh, the Yankees are really in on this guy. No, they're not. But everybody wants their, their client to have a higher price tag in free agency. So you pretend that the Yankees are really in on it when in actuality, how he just picks up the phone and makes a call a lot of times. What does it take? What are we looking at? But what would not make sense about it all – what would make sense is that all three running backs that they've got are on one-year deals. So there's really no future running back for the Philadelphia Eagles. Jonathan Taylor, if you acquired him, would be your future running back. But the problem is the Eagles don't want to pay a franchise running back. They're paying other positions, including their quarterback, who's a big part of the running game. So what sense does it make to give up whatever the Colts want, which is going to be a high pick, to get Jonathan Taylor for a one-year rental and then try to have to fight it out with him on a huge contract. Nothing ever – like, I never slammed the door on anything because we've seen the Eagles sort of reverse pivot and do different things. But I just don't understand how financially this – sort of coincides with their identity and what they're doing as a franchise.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of shocked at it, too, because I actually think they have a really good running back situation here with the multifaceted guys that, that fit needs depending on what the defense is, is going to present to them. And I I would actually hate to see them. Like, none of them are stars. Like DeAndre Swift is the
1: brightest star, but they all kind of fit with what they're trying to do now, no? Well, they are multifaceted, you're right. But if all things were even, right? If, if, if money didn't matter, if draft, you, you would get rid of all these guys for Jonathan Taylor and then you would get yourself a nice third down back or you just keep Boston Scott to catch some, some passes because that's how good Jonathan Taylor is and then you don't have to worry about shuffle how do I get DeAndre Swift in? how do I get Rashad Penny do these guys stay healthy enough so in an ideal world sure it, it would make sense and then again the it's a good situation this year that you're describing but who's the Eagles running backs next year because all these guys are on one year deals, so um, you can see why it would stir in Howie Roseman's mind. But again, once you start talking about giving up a lot of draft comp and money at that position, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. All right, so this team, as
0: we follow them through preseason, it's kind of like there's, there's no splash to it. We, we, we all know they're good. And, you know, we're talking about situations like who's going to be the second linebacker next to Dean, who's going to be the second safety next to Blankenship. So, so let's get into that. Uh, Zach uh, Cunningham flashed a little bit. Uh, in that game. I, I like his size. He, he balances well against the, the smaller Dean is he had the inside spot there or, you know, Christian Ellis played well. So who's going to get that spot There's Morrow
1: there as well. So not to get all X and O wonky, because I know people don't love that all the time, but I think that the conversation should more be about like what kind of packages and, and formations are the Eagles going to play as opposed to who's starting next to the Kobe Dean, because Zach Cunningham, you're right is first of all, he's six foot three. When's the last time the Eagles had a six foot three linebacker with uh, a wingspan of a six, six guy. Like when they have the classroom meetings, all the guys must look at him up. Like (laughs) who the hell are you? Right? Like you look like a DN to us, but he is a outside of the elbow issue. He had last year. He's been a tackling machine throughout his career. He's a very good run stopper. You saw it very easily. As soon as he got to Eagles camp, that he was going to be the guy, but Mike, he's the guy to stop the run. So he's your guy next to Nicobe Dean on first and first and second down. So we've dedicated a whole lot of discussion to literally a player who might be on the field for 25 to 30% of the snaps. Ideally, if the Eagles are doing a horrible job of stopping the run, well, then he's going to probably have to be out there a little longer. Or if teams try to play two tight ends, three tight ends, and Patriots will do that week one, then you'll see him on the field a little more. The question that we really have is when they want to stop the pass, who the hell are they going to have out there? And I wouldn't be surprised if Morrow, Ellis, any other guy aren't on the field. I wouldn't be surprised if they're playing more big nickel and dime, which, you know, three safeties, four corners, because they need more quicker coverage guys. And I don't I don't think any of these other linebackers, whether it's Nick Morrow or Christian Ellis, is a guy you ideally want out there on 50 to 60 percent of the snaps. And by the way, you need to Nicole stay healthy to to, to yeah. pull this off what I'm saying, playing a lot of
0: dime. Yeah, it's it's a great point. Uh, somewhere along the line, Cunningham must have got the wrong message. He's a 6'3 linebacker who stops the run instead of like being great at coverage with all that length. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it is kind of weird. All, all right. So then now let's look at the safety. I want to bring Sidney Brown in here. Sidney Brown to me is like Kyle Schwarber.
1: <laughs> yeah. You
0: know, like uh, he's going to make some mistakes. Like Kyle Schwarber is going to strike out and hit one eighty-six, the leadoff hitter. But the splash part of his game is what people are going to notice. Now, do they take the chance on him? Because he's going to make mistakes. I mean, like an aggressive rookie like that is going to really, like, the spotlight is going to be on him on some plays with the mistakes he makes. So
1: wh- wh- what do you think they're thinking about with that? All right. Yeah, there's no question they're going to have to live with rookie mistakes. You have to live with that on many rookies. And his will be, as you mentioned, of the over-pursuing variety because he has so much... Closing speed, Mike. I mean, he looks like he's shot out of a cannon on every play. So that's gonna excite the fans and the coaches when the play is made, and it's going to piss everyone off when he completely whiffs on a tackle. And I like to, I, I had a I was joking around with a guy from the team about this. You know, I remember Ernie Sims had all this speed, but you could throw a screen at him and you'd get him 30 yards away because you'd make one move. But he's no Ernie Sims. I mean, this guy is a really Smart, uh, not that Ernie Sims wasn't smart. I'm just saying Sidney Brown has what it takes to be a pretty good NFL player. He just has to learn the difference between his speed, game speed, and how to hit the right way without getting penalized because he put a hit the other night in uh, joint practice on Mo Alley Cox that definitely would have been a defenseless receiver flag. So once they harness all that, you know, you're going to get a pretty good player. But I, I can see why people – have already sort of said, this guy reminds me a little bit of Dawkins because he's all tenacity and all force out there. But you're right. They'll have to live with the mistakes. But this is another conversation where people ask me, well, is he, when's he going to start? What, is he a starter? Or are you going to start? The... And I just keep saying, don't look at it like that because they'll get him on the field. In, and by the end of the game, he may have played more snaps than Terrell Edmonds, even if he came off the bench because of the situations that they're facing from the offense.
0: Okay, so that that is to say that uh, Sean Desai is going to be multi-flexible defensive coordinator and has the ability to do that with with all these different kind of situations. Have have you seen that in him so far as the new DC? I
1: have, but I also worry about reading too much of what I've seen in practices and and training camp. You know, um, last year we got all very familiar with the whole five-man front. Sometimes a 5-1 look, sometimes a 5-2 look. This year I've seen more cases of maybe three down linemen and an overhang or an edge rusher, which is really a, a four-man front. But I've also seen five. I've seen defensive tackles standing up. I've seen James Bradbury working at nickel corner, right, which is not something he's normally done. I've seen uh, a couple of guys. I've seen the three safety looks with Justin Evans suddenly now getting looks there. So, I, I th- you know, Sean Desai's new. This personnel is new to him, and there's a lot of new players to the Eagles. So you've got a lot of newness there, and I think there's a lot to be figured out. But I do think, especially up front, that he's got enough versatile players to do creative things that that I don't think Jonathan Gannon did enough of um, as far as trying to fool the opponent with how your pre-snap movement is, how your post-snap movement is, how your defensive line alignment looks, especially if you want to rush the passer. Can you overload a side, even if you're going to come with a four-man rush? Can you give the offense something they haven't seen on tape before? I felt that that's an area, again, it fell short. We're talking to Jeff Mosher,
0: who's covered the Eagles for many years and now is the uh, head of the podcast Inside the Birds. But what you see, you, you can, they have a little session on the radio, a, a certain radio station. Uh, you guys do an hour on, on Mondays, I believe. <laughs> two, right? hours, two hours, two, Although two the, hours. Although
1: you're right, with the Sixers' conflicts and the Flyers' conflicts, sometimes it's like 40 minutes. Two hours,
0: and, and, it, and it apparently a tricked out new studio, which uh, I wasn't there when I was there. But, but in, any event, look, in covering this team, it, it looks like, I mean, to me, I get the vibe that Sirianni has gotten a little more, you know, grown into his boots a little bit. and It's just going crazy sometimes out there with his disciplinary uh, reactions. Have you seen a change in the
1: head coach, and how's that uh, going over? I don't know if it's – I felt like ever since he got here, he's been – and 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 I think that there's upsides and downsides to this. The, the, he coaches. He coaches his players, and he coaches his coaches, Mike, which if we're going to look back at the Doug Peterson era, as far as coddling coaches and actually coaching coaches, there's a big difference. Nick Sirianni, if his player makes a mistake, he gets on the player, but he'll, he'll take a look at the coach and say, what are you doing here? Even Sean Desai, his new defensive coordinator, he once looked at him when there was a – a substitution issue. So I think that it's really important that you coach your coaches and evaluate them objectively, because if you don't have good assistant coaches, I mean, the the downfall of the Andy Reid era is when he started to really mess around and some of that was forced on him, but he didn't have the the same coaching staff that he did had in the early 2000s. Right. But, and I know I'll I'll say this and I'll take a lot of heat for it and I don't care. You know, that. Um, I do think he can be a little sophomoric at times. Like when last year, you know, I forget who it was in the Jets game put a hit on on Hertz and he, he's out there like yelling at other teams. I, I I don't think that that's like good NFL head coaching mannerisms. And I think that stuff can come back and haunt you later. So I do think he needs to like tone it down a little bit. And sometimes his quarterback looks at him like he needs to tone it down a little bit too. <laughs> um, and maybe he'll learn that. Maybe he won't. I don't know. It's obviously not impacted his win loss record yet so far, or his standing among fans or the, or the NFL. But I do think he can get a little overboard at times.
0: And, and that could get old with players exactly. in, in this league, especially veteran players. Uh, all right, well, a roundabout way to talk about Hurts. So but I look at this team and I go, you know, in, in Philadelphia, we're, we're not kind about how good uh, a team is. This team's good. We, we know they're good. And, mm-hmm. and on paper, they should be the best team in, in the NFC. And there are these people out there go, well, you know, it's so hard to get back to the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl runner-up, hangover and all that stuff. And I go, it, this team almost works the opposite way. This team almost has a mentality that they missed out on something and they're eager to get back, especially with this quarterback who's just yeah. relentless in his pursuit of perfection. So how do you see this?
1: I see it exactly as you said it. I think, I think for a long time – Philadelphia fans, Eagles fans, have have yearned for the type of quarterback. We've had some really talented quarterbacks here, Jaworski, McNabb, even what you saw from Carson Wentz in 2017. But I think the Eagles fan has been looking for a quarterback who's not just talented but has that same mentality that they have. And Jalen Hurst matches that. And it's a great Philadelphia story because he's not the most talented, not the biggest guy in the world, sort of Allen Iverson-ish, right? Not the biggest guy in the world, but tougher and mentally tougher than anybody you're going to put across from him and not afraid of anything. And that's Jalen Hurts. He wasn't a first-round pick, doesn't have six-foot-six body. His arm is good, it's fine, but it's not what you would say out of Justin Herberts, right? But he has developed himself into one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL because he's just relentless and he's really smart. He has an unbelievable understanding of what he wants to do. And it's kind of a treat, I think, for the Eagle fan to finally see this. And not only that, but Mike, you've covered this team as long as I have, reserved him. To have AJ Brown and Devontae Smith, imagine being an Eagles fan your whole life. Never have they had two players at that position, that good, playing together at the same time. Quick and Carmichael never played in the prime of their careers together, right? We we saw Kevin Curtis, we saw Reggie Brown, Charles, Chris T. Johnson. Like, this is an amazing era for Eagles offense. And I hope everybody can appreciate it because it's been a long, long time since you had weapons like this. Chris T. from miami christy jones Jones, james thrash todd pinkston you're
0: you're dropping some names on me today like i never thought i'd get an ernie sims reference ernie sims yeah for the rest of my life but you, you dropped that one on me too so, uh yeah and I agree with you I, they're, they're just they're good and and we know it we know they're good they like a team that's expected to win every time out so mm-hmm. I guess the only thing you look at is this six game killer st- schedule part where they're gonna have to win one of those games that maybe you don't think they're gonna win uh but they, they look like an easy 12
1: win team to me is is that like what you're looking at here uh to me i think the 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 floor for them is an 11 and 12 wins I, it's hard for me to think unless they just get every injury under the sun that they win fewer than 11 or 12 games like you said just offensively alone they have so much talent it's even when you face a good team that team's got to match you point for point and that's going to be difficult because now they're even more multi-dimensional offensively because they have running backs who can catch the ball and it does look like the quarterback is trying to get the running back involved in the passing game more so that just makes them even more multi-dimensional offensively. Now, defense, I think there is a question mark. They're rebuilding this, the middle of their defense. But, man, if Jalen Carter is even a fraction so far of what he's been in in camp and preseason, that's, that's going to be pretty good for them, and the NFL is going to wonder why they let the Eagles get him.
0: We're talking to Jeff Moses. Jeff, let me, let me just ask you about uh, uh, some career uh, questions here. Oh, wow. um, you know, we, we've done this about a year, the podcast of the year. Now, you you and, and Adam were, were kind of in on the ground floor of the podcast movement. Yeah. And, and you guys had started this a while ago. And, you know, your career follows a path that a lot of us took. Newspaper journalists and then moved in uh, working for Comcast Sportsnet, NBC Sports TV, covering the Eagles that way. And And so how did you get to the podcast?
1: Hmm. It, it's a really long winding story. I'll give you the, the, the cliff notes is that a lot of it was the right place in the right time. You know, I was at a station as you know, and I thought I was doing well, but obviously other people who were getting jobs over me. So I, I felt stuck in the mud a little bit. Adam Kaplan had just been part of that. Do you remember the ESPN 100 layoff thing? Where they yep. laid off a lot of their upper tier talent, so they laid. That was off. The
0: Jason Stark, uh, Jason level. Stark, Edwarder yeah.
1: at the time. Yeah, a lot, a lot of really good people at ESPN. So he was still under contract with them, but obviously not employed. So he had to be judicious in what kind of jobs he was looking for because he was still under contract with ESPN. Right. Uh, we had a mutual friend who uh, John Barchard who said, "Hey, you guys should do a podcast. It would be really good." So what we decided is we want to do a podcast that. Was more like, um, you know, at that time, not everybody and their mother had a podcast, but there were some podcasts out there. They're mostly Eagles fans podcasts. We wanted to do a podcast that sort of reminded people of like what they used to get out of the Sunday newspaper, the notes, the nuggets, you know. And we had the sources, the connections to be able to do that, even if we're not at the Novocare every day to say, hey, here's what the team is thinking. Here's what they're doing. Here's an evaluation of their players based not only on theirs, but we have enough people around the league who see their tape. And we just started doing these podcasts. And, and the first few, this is, goes back to like SoundCloud days, right? 2018. Um, first few got a decent audience, a couple, you know, 1,000, 2,000. So we thought we were on to something. Um, and then steadily, month by month, year by year, we grew, we added, we expanded to the point now where it wasn't just a podcast. It's a podcast, it's a YouTube channel. It's a website, inside insidethebirds.com. We have a newsletter. We have a pregame show. We have a postgame show. We have four other shows. On the inside the bird's platform that me or Adam aren't involved in because we've expanded and we've wanted to add more talent and more, more uh, depth to our coverage, um, and we're working on about four or five other more expansion things. So yeah, like you said, it was inside the bird uh, network or empire. I like to call it. It's it's not just a pod. And and the funny the fun thing is is being the reporter but also the creative director, trying to figure out where we're going to go as a company and how we're gonna. Everything is under the same umbrella, though, Mike. Everything we do is every, is supposed to be like educational reportery and insidery. I think our success in the first few years was sort of counterculture to what you were seeing on the TV networks of guys, just guys and women just screaming at each other, just like debating topics and screaming at each other, and then the next day being completely proven wrong about whatever they were screaming at the day before. Like that's it's not what we're into. We don't scream. We're pretty passionate. Um, But we give information and that's our feedback. People say thank you for just giving me an objective look at the Eagles and not trying to put your own bias or homerism into it or anything like that. So it's work.
0: It's, it's got to be freeing for you to be your own boss. Absolutely. But also, it's difficult. Podcast difficult. You have, I mean, you're you a businessman now. Yeah. So you have to go out. You have to find advertising, You have to find revenue streams, all that kind of stuff. How how has that been where, where you're used to just, you know, doing your job and then moving on?
1: Yeah. No, Adam and I are really, really fortunate. We have a, a partner in our business who does the sales. His name is Josh Weinfeld. Um, he's our agent also. He does the sales. He does uh, a lot, big part of our marketing. Now, we're a part of that. But he's got his own little team and he's been able to do an excellent job um, taking what we do and putting it out there and, and being able to generate revenue. And we also came across at a good time, right, because just as Inside the Birds was growing, so was gambling becoming legal. So sports books and casinos and uh, are obviously, as you guys know here, um, yes. a big part of a, shout <laughs> a out to Bet Rivers. It. shout <laughs> out to Bed Rivers. Right. So, um, yeah. So so that that helped as well. Yeah. Um, but I, I tell you, it was, you know, I, I used to work at, at CSN. Now it's NBC Sports Philly. And I was there for three years. And I was there EaglesInsider.com, but also doing a lot of TV. And it was, in my mind, the greatest job I ever had. And I worked so hard to get it. And I had to beat out a lot of people to get it who are really awesome at what they do. And I wanted to be there forever, man. I, I, I even told the people up there, I was like, if you just let me do my thing, because I was really coming into my own there. Um, I was like, I, can, I will try, I will be your next Ray Dittinger. That's what I think I can be. Um, but I learned a, a hard side of the business is that the networks, especially, they, they pivot, they change what they're looking for. Their money isn't as good as you think it's getting to be. But um, that's, that's more of an overarching network thing. Everybody who I worked with at CSN, I have a great respect for. And the toughest thing I had to do was say, say no to their, their contract extension offer because I just didn't think it aligned with what I was doing. Um, but now, as you mentioned, and to be able to build this on my own, right, be my own boss, do do it the way I want to do it, it is very liberating, and it's been an awesome experience.
0: Fantastic. That's, that's uh, a great move that you made, and it was a ballsy move, so you have my admiration and respect for it. Last okay, thing I want you. to address with you, of course, you're a proud Penn Stater. I am. And, uh, you know, there's this little snit fit going on with Pitt fans all of a sudden. Uh, on social media. Yeah, I, I don't understand it. They, like, well, P- uh, Penn State's ducking us, blah, blah, blah. It, it, come on, we know. It's like Animal Farm. Uh, all, <laughs> all animals are equal. Some are more equal than others, right? So that's, that's the way I always look at it. So when you when look at this team, Jeff, people yeah. are saying this could be the closest they ever get to that college football playoff.
1: They you gonna be, They're gonna be such an awesome 10-and-2 team, Mike, that loses to Michigan and Ohio State by five <laughs> instead of twelve. Oh, no. It's gonna be no. so awesome. <laughs> I was hoping no. I would get a different answer. <laughs> Come on, man. You know I'm a realist at the end of the day, right? <laughs> Listen, they're gonna All be right. more ex- they're gonna be a really exciting 10-and-2 team, and they're not gonna lose to Michigan by 20. Uh, just by four. <laughs> Three. <laughs> That, hurt. that hurt. One hand it hurts. You on the see, other hand, it.
0: It, makes, it makes my book, The Perfect Season, the last time they won a the national championships,
1: still viable on the shelves. Because <laughs> you know my freshman <laughs> year was ninety-four, man. I, I I learned that year that I'm not gonna get my way. All right. Oh my god, that's a, that was a killer year. That yeah, like you can't put a Minnesota Minnesota better college football team out the there. Minnesota man. homecoming loss. No, no, no. That that was ninety what, six? Oh, oh you The, about the to freshman go to year. Kerry
0: Collins year. Yes. Oh, yeah, there's the book, The Perfect Season. Yeah, Terry Collins, year was a killer. But also that 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 year where Lavar Arrington, that team was pretty good. They lost. The so funny but- story on
1: that on that. You, my neighbor, where I live now, my neighbor used to be uh, former Eagles running back, fullback Thomas DePay. You remember him? Yeah, sure. Yeah, he played at Minnesota, right? Yeah. By the way, he doesn't live in my neighborhood anymore because I'm pretty sure he figured out when sports writers start moving into my neighborhood, that's when I got to go to a better neighborhood, <laughs> right? So anyway, uh, he was my neighbor. Great guy. Our families got to know each other. One day I go into – he went he played at Minnesota. So one day I'm going into his house and into his, like, you know, area where he's got all his, like, you know, college uh, memorabilia. And he's got this enormous poster of the past – I can't even remember the quarterback's name – over LeVar's hands, right, on fourth down that lands – in the receiver's hands that sets up the game winning field goal to end our unbeaten season. Yeah. I looked at, I said, Tom, I'm leaving. <laughs> I just walked yeah. out of his house. <laughs> I,
0: I, I was, I was at that game and uh. Uh, I don't think I've ever been more disappointed ever in my life. But if you remember that year, they rallied and they won some more games. So here comes Michigan. Yep. And a friend of mine says, let's go out again. Nah, I'm done. no, no, no. So I get reacclimated with the Penn state drive and they're going to do something. And, uh, and who comes off, uh, in the fourth quarter and lights him up for Michigan? Tom effing Brady. <laughs> Tom Brady, that's right, of course. Takes, oh. takes him down the field. That's right. came for Michigan that year. Oh, so, uh, yeah, I, I hear what rough. you're saying. You're They're probably not going to beat Ohio State, probably not going to be Michigan, but hey. You know, it's going
1: to be interesting to see that offense. Actually, knowing our luck, Mike, they're going to be one of those guys. Now now no, I think about it, they're going to be them. one of those teams, and you think that's the huh. year, and then they're going to lose to the other, and then you're going to be like, uh, no, it's not the year.
0: I got it. All right, listen, man, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Great stuff, as usual. Good to see you. And we'll talk to you up the road, brother. Thanks. You got it, man. Appreciate everything. Take care. Jeff Mosher, Inside the Birds. Thanks for listening to everybody. We will talk to you next week on the Mike Missnelli Podcast. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for listening
0: to the Mike Messinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.